Kovanen, and Suilade again. To all my elf friends, I am Tani Tanuviel, the resident KUCI Middle Earth Elf, and this is What Would Arwen Do? In case you are just tuning in for the first time, we are on every Friday morning, at least for the summertime, 8 to 9 a.m., and I'm here this morning with my co-host, my Hobbit co-host, Milo Lomestown. Good morning, Milo. Good morning, Tani. How are you this beautiful morning? I am great. You know, I love it when we have mornings like this where it's overcast because, um, as you may know, elves love to walk in starlight and we love the twilight. We were we were born before there was a sun and moon and uh, awoke in starlight. So sometimes the harshness of the sun is a little bit much. So I love overcast mornings where we can kind of ease into the day and then the sun comes out later, bright and shining, and all is wonderful. So we're having one of those mornings here in Orange County this morning. That's right. Later today, our wonderful gardens will get the golden Mm. sunlight and that liquid sunshine uh, is not going to be here today. We will have regular sunshine, but it is good to start overcast to give the leaves a rest from the harsh light. Yes, and of course, as a hobbit, you're you're very concerned about what's going to be. What's the weather going to be like for my garden? That's it. It's <laughs> all about the garden. Got to have those zucchini. Yes, I love that. Well, and it's funny because with the elves, it's all about. Um, it's all about the starlight, you know. Well, when it's daytime, you know, the stars are veiled. So it's so funny how we have our different perspectives on on the gifts of the earth in each day. So in case you are just tuning in uh, and wondering what in the world is this show all about, this is What Would Arwen Do? And this is the show where we ask, I ask, if a Middle Earth elf lived today in Orange County, California, what might her life look like? How would she celebrate and support the arts, music, her community, and the preservation of Earth, its beauty, resources, and creatures? Some people like to ask, what would Jesus do? Which is a very good question. But I like to ask, what would Arwen do? Arwen being, in case you did not know, an elf princess, the daughter of Elrond, the a prince among elves, the lord of Rivendell, a magical place of healing, lore, and wisdom, which I think is not unlike the community here at UC Irvine. And here we are um, having our summer break, so it's a little quiet here in, uh, in the shire of UC Irvine. Um, but it's nice. Um, in just about a month, the uh, campus of UC Irvine will be bustling again with all the activities of students, staff, and programs, and new students coming in and other students returning. Um, so anyway, Arwen uh, was, I believe, um, a beloved daughter of the universe. And I love to study. I've been doing my exper- little experiment of my life as an elf now for a little over seven years and has transformed my life on many levels. And I believe that J.R.R. Tolkien's world holds archetypes of uh, many of the archetypes of heroism and joy and uh, for me the elves just kind of embody what is best and noblest and in fact in Tolkien and the Lord of the Rings A Guide to Middle-Earth Colin Durias wrote that in his invented mythology of Middle-Earth Tolkien intended that his elves were an extended metaphor of a key aspect of human nature this quote elven quality in human life was a central 
preoccupation of Tolkien's. Dwarves, like, I'm sorry, elves, <laughs> like dwarves, hobbits, and the like, partially represent human beings. In Tolkien's mythology, elves represent what is high and noble in humans. In particular, they represent the arts in their highest form, work done in the image of God and his created world. So I believe that this, quote, elven quality exists today in every living person and yearns for expression through gifts of service to others and creativity and nobility. And uh, so my hope is that uh, spending a little time with you on Friday morning, so now with my hobbit friend Milo, we have now also a hobbit perspective on life, that perhaps your life will be enriched and you will be inspired to find something that... Uh, brings you joy, whatever your passion is, and bring it into the world to enrich not only your life, but the lives of those around you. So I am so happy, Milo, to have you here. Um, elves love hobbits. <laughs> and and hobbits, as you know, love elves because we are complementary races. We are complementary beings. We, we love the earth and we love eating a lot. Elves don't seem to <laughs> eat very much. When they do eat, though, it's extremely nutritious. <laughs> well, it's also very good. Elves do love to eat, though. But uh, we eat for nutrition, and we eat in celebration. <laughs> and generally, I think, don't mix those two. Sometimes people just eat in celebration all the time. But that is, that is a wonderful thing about hobbits. Um, in fact, this morning, um, <clears throat> we are going to be celebrating um, the just some of the work of the professor. The Bilbo's birthday is... September 22nd, which is uh, rapidly approaching, but generally when we get back into school time, we have programs of other things going on and interviews. And so sometimes in the summer when it's a little quieter, we have the opportunity to share some of the work of J.R.R. Tolkien in other in other ways. So this morning, I wanted to um, uh, play from uh, The Hobbit, J.R.R. Tolkien actually reading from The Hobbit, and he's going to be reading from the chapter, Riddles in the Dark. And I thought, because really The Hobbit is what got uh, so much of this going. Lord of the Rings came afterwards. Um, there in the book, uh, The Hobbit, that was published in 1937. And uh, so The Hobbit's been around quite a while. And you can learn a whole lot about elves in The Hobbit, just as much as you can in The Lord of the Rings or in The Silmarillion. So this morning, Milo, you have such a beautiful Hobbit voice. So I have asked you, and you have graciously consented, to read a bit about hobbits from The Hobbit before we actually hear the professor reading on his own. Um, and before we get into it, is there anyone you'd like to say a special hello to this morning? No, just all of my friends and family that are tuning in this morning over the internet. Yes. Uh, it's a, sort of an elvish medium, the internet. We prefer <laughs> to listen on the radio because it's a little bit more tactful, tactile, a little bit more of the earth. But the internet is is a fine medium, and, and most of my friends and family are listening over there. So to all of my friends and family listening in the internet, uh, hello from Milo. <laughs> and hello to many of my friends who are listening in also through the Internet. Um, as an, an elf, I it was actually, I just had my seven-year anniversary of being involved with Tolkien Online, my favorite uh, Lord of the Rings community, <clears throat> the OneRing.net. Um, I'm sorry, the one, 
TheOneRing.com. <laughs> Tolkien. <laughs> Torn is TheOneRing.net, which is another also wonderful message board. But uh, to, I want to just say a, a large Michael Vaughn and, uh, and Sui Lade to all my friends who are listening from Tolkien Online, many of which will be listening to the podcast. The Internet is a wonderful thing. So <clears throat> unless we run out of time, Milo, I would, um, would you please share uh, a little bit from The Hobbit and... Um, then we'll play a little little music from the Shire, and then we'll hear from the professor. So um, tell us what you're reading from there. Sounds good. We're reading from J.R.R. Tolkien, The Hobbit, or There and Back Again, mm. from 1937. Chapter 1, An Unexpected Party. And this tells you quite a bit about our nature, my nature, and our nature as hobbits. Mm-hmm. In a hole in the ground there lived a hobbit. Not a nasty, dirty, wet hole filled with the ends of worms and an oozy smell, nor yet a dry, bare, sandy hole with nothing in it to sit down on or to eat. It was a hobbit hole, and that means comfort. It had a perfectly round door like a porthole, painted green, with a shiny yellow brass knob in the exact middle. The door opened on to a tube-shaped hall like a tunnel, a very comfortable tunnel without smoke, with paneled walls, and floors tiled and carpeted, provided with polished chairs, and lots and lots of pegs for hats and coats. The hobbit was fond of visitors. The tunnel wound on and on, going fairly but not quite straight into the side of the hill. The hill, with capital H, as all the people for many miles round called it, and many little round doors opened out of it, first on one side and then on another. No going upstairs for the hobbit. Bedrooms, bathrooms, cellars, pantries, lots of these. Wardrobes, he had whole rooms devoted to clothes. Kitchens, dining rooms, all were on the same floor, and indeed on the same passage. The best rooms were all on the left-hand side, going in, for these were the only ones to have windows, deep-set round windows looking over his garden, and meadows beyond, sloping down to the river. This hobbit was a very well-to-do hobbit, and his name was Baggins. The Bagginses had lived in the neighborhood of the hill for time out of mind, and people considered them very respectable, not only because most of them were rich, but also because they never had any adventures or did anything unexpected. You could tell what a Baggins would say on any question without the bother of asking him. This is a story of how a Baggins had an adventure and found himself doing and saying things altogether unexpected. He may have lost the neighbor's respect, but he gained... Well, you will see whether he gained anything in the end. The mother of this particular hobbit. What is a hobbit? I suppose hobbits need some description nowadays, since they have become rare and shy of the big people, as they call us. They are, or were, a little people, about half our height, and smaller than the bearded dwarves. Hobbits had no beards. There is little or no magic about them except the ordinary everyday sort which helps them to disappear quietly and quickly when large stupid folks like you and me come blundering along, making a noise like elephants which they can hear a mile off. They are inclined to be fat in the stomach. They dress in bright colors, chiefly green and yellow, wear no shoes because their feet grow natural leathery soles and thick warm brown hair, like the stuff on their heads, which is curly have long, clever brown fingers, good-natured faces, and laugh deep, fruity laughs, especially after dinner, which we have, pardon me, they have twice a day when 
we, they can get it. Now you know enough to go on with. <laughs> I absolutely love that. Uh, that is, um, tells you just a little bit about the hobbits. And, of course, I, I, I love um, first lines in books. I always open books to see what the, the first line is. And, of course, one of the classic first lines ever is, In a hole in the ground there lived a hobbit. Yes. And a little bit of the history about that, if I rem- if I remember correctly, is that J.R. Tolkien at one time just scribbled that on a little piece of paper, and that was the beginning of the tales of Middle Earth. It's an amazing story. It is. Thank you very much for sharing that with us. We're going to hear a little music from the Shire, from the Lord of the Rings, the Fellowship of the Ring, the complete recordings, and then we'll be hearing from the professor. So here is the... Um, Academy Award-winning music of Howard Shore, A Little Taste of the Shire. You are listening to What Would Arwen Do on every Friday morning, 8 to 9 a.m. on KUCI in Irvine. award-winning music from Howard Shore from The Lord of the Rings, The Fellowship of the Ring, The Complete Recordings. And we heard Gandalf, uh, Ian McKellen, (laughs) Gandalf uh, reciting, singing, The Road Goes Ever On and On. So, Milo, we are going to get into hearing the professor himself reading from The Hobbit, and I always love hearing the professor read oh, his own work. his readings are the best. I mean, there have been many great readings. We have certainly Nicol Williamson. We have many fabulous people. But to hear it from the lips of the master himself is fabulous. Yes. So we are going to be hearing from the chapter, uh, Riddles in the Dark. And uh, so we'll hear a little bit of, you know... Bilbo meeting up with Gollum. So you are listening to KCI in Irvine, Orange County's alternative radio station. And here is J.R.R. Tolkien reading from The Hobbit. Deep down here by the dark water lived old Gollum. I don't know where he came from, nor who or what he was. He was Gollum, as dark as darkness, except for two big, round, pale eyes. He had a boat, and he rode about quite quietly on the lake, for lake it was, wide and deep and deadly cold. He paddled it with large feet dangling over the side, but never a ripple did he make, not he. He was looking out of his pale lamp-like eyes for blind fish, which he grabbed with his long fingers as quick as thinking. He liked meat, too. Goblin, he thought, good, when he could get it. But he took care they never found him out. He just throttled them from behind if ever they came down alone anywhere near the edge of the water while he was prowling about. They very seldom did, for they had a feeling that something unpleasant was lurking down there, down at the very roots of the mountain. They had come on the lake when they were tunneling down long ago, and they found they could go no further. So there their road ended in that direction. There was no reason to go that way unless the great goblin sent them. Sometimes he took a fancy for fish from the lake, and sometimes neither goblin nor fish came back. 
Actually, Gollum lived on a slimy island of rock in the middle of the lake. He was watching Bilbo now from the distance with his pale eyes like telescopes. Bilbo could not see him, but he was wondering a lot about Bilbo, for he could see that he was no goblin at all. Gollum got into his boat and shut off from the island while Bilbo was sitting on the brink, altogether flummoxed and at the end of his way in his wits. Suddenly up came Gollum and whispered and hissed, Bless us and splash us, my precious. I guess it's a choice feast. At least the tasty morsel it'll make us gollum. And when he said gollum, he made a horrible swallowing noise in his throat. That is how he got his name though he always called himself my precious. The hobbit jumped nearly out of his skin when the hiss came in his ears, and he suddenly saw the pale eyes sticking out at him. Who are you, he said, thrusting his dagger in front of him. What is he, my precious, whispered Gollum, who always spoke to himself, through never having anyone else to speak to. That is what he had come to find out, for he was not really very hungry at the moment, only curious. Otherwise he would have grabbed first and whispered afterwards. I'm Mr. Bilbo Baggins. I've lost the dwarves and I've lost the wizard and I don't know where I am. And I don't want to know if only I can get away. What's he got in his hands is, said Gollum, looking at the sword which he did not quite like. The sword, a blade which came out of Gondolin. <laughs> said Gollum, and became quite polite. Perhaps she sits here and chats with it a bit, see my precious. It likes riddles, perhaps, does it? Does it? He was anxious to appear friendly, at any rate for the moment, until he found out more about the sword and the hobbit, whether he was quite alone really, whether he was good to eat, and whether Gollum was really hungry. Riddles were all he could think of. Asking them, sometimes guessing them, had been the only game he'd ever played with other funny creatures sitting in their holes in the long, long ago before the goblins came, and he was cut off from his friends far under the mountains. Very well, said Bilbo, who was anxious to agree, until he found out more about the creature, whether he was quite alone, whether he was fierce or hungry, and whether he was a friend of the goblins. You ask first, he said, because he had not had time to think of a riddle. So Gollum hissed, What has roots as nobody sees? He's taller than trees. Up, up it goes, and yet never grows. Easy, said Bilbo. Mountain, I suppose. Does it guess easy? It must have a competition with us, my precious. If precious asks and it doesn't answer, we eat it, my precious. If it asks us and we doesn't answer, then we does what he wants, eh? We shows it the way out, yes? All right, said Bilbo. Not daring to disagree and nearly bursting his brain to think of riddles that could save him from being eaten. There were thirty white horses on a red hill. First they champed, and they stamped, and they stand still. That was all he could think of to ask. The idea of eating was rather on his mind. It was rather an old one, too. Gollum knew the answer as well as you do. Chestnuts! Chestnuts! He hissed. Teeth! Teeth, my precious! But we is only six! Then he asked his second. Voiceless it cries. Wingless flutters. Toothless bites, mouthless mutters. Half a moment, cried Bilbo, who was still thinking uncomfortably about eating. Fortunately, he had once heard something rather like this before, and getting his wits back, he thought of the answer. Wind, wind, of course, he said. 
and he was so pleased that he made one up on the spot. This will puzzle the nasty little underground creature, he thought. An eye in a blue face saw an eye in a green face. That eye is like to this eye, said the first eye, but in a low place, not in a high place, said Gollum. He had been underground a long, long time and was forgetting this sort of thing. But just as Bilbo was getting impatient, Gollum brought up memories of ages and ages and ages before when he had lived with his grandmother in a hole in a bank by a river. My precious, he said, son of the daisies, it means it does. But these ordinary above-ground, everyday sort of riddles were tiring for him. Also, they reminded him of days when he had been less lonely and sneaky and nasty, and that put him out of temper. What is more, they made him hungry. So this time he tried something a bit more difficult and more unpleasant. It cannot be seen, cannot be felt, cannot be heard, cannot be smelt. It lies behind stars and under hills and empty holes it fills. It comes first and follows after, ends life, kills laughter. Unfortunately for Gollum, Bilbo had heard that sort of thing before, and the answer was all round him anyway. Dark, he said, without even scratching his head or putting on his thinking cap. A box without hinges, key or lid, yet golden treasure inside his head, he asked, to gain time until he could think of a really hard work. This he thought of dreadfully easy chestnut, though he had not asked it in the usual words, but he proved a nasty poser for Gollum. He hissed to himself, and still he did not answer. He whispered and spluttered. After some while, Bilbo became impatient. Well, what is it, he said. The answer's not a kettle boiling over, as you seem to think from the noise you're making. Give us a chance. Let it give us a chance, my precious. Well, said Bilbo, after giving him a long chance, what is it? But suddenly Gollum remembered thieving from nests long ago, and sitting under the river, teaching his grandmother, teaching his grandmother to suck eggs as it is, eggs as it is. Then he asked, alive without breath, as cold as death, never thirsty, ever drinking, all in mail, never clinking. He also, in his turn, thought this was a dreadfully easy one because he was always thinking of the answer. But he could not remember anything better at the moment. He was so flustered by the egg question. All the same, it was a poser for poor Bilbo, who never had anything to do with the water if he could help it. I imagine you know the answer, of course, or can guess it as easy as winking, since you are sitting comfortably at home and have not the danger of being eaten to disturb your thinking. Bilbo sat and cleared his throat once or twice. <clears throat> but no answer came. After a while, Gollum began to hiss with pleasure to himself. Is it nice, my precious? Is it juicy? Is it scrumptiously crunchable? He began to peer at Bilbo out of the darkness. Half a moment, said the hobbit, shivering. I gave you a good long chance just now. It must make haste, 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 said Gollum, beginning to climb out of his boat onto the shore to get at Bilbo. But when he put out his long, webby foot in the water, a fish jumped out in a fright and fell on Bilbo's toes. Oh, he said, it's cold, Clary. And so he guessed. Fish, fish, he cried, it's a fish. Gollum was dreadfully disappointed. But Bilbo asked another riddle as quick as ever he could, 
so the golem had to get back into his boat and think. No legs lay on one leg. Two legs sat near on three legs. Four legs got some. It was not really the right time for this riddle, but Bilbo was in a hurry. Gollum might have had some trouble guessing it if he'd asked it another time. As it was, talking of fish, no legs was not so very difficult, and after that the rest was easy. Fish on a little table, man at table sitting on a stool, the cat has the bones. That, of course, is the answer, and Gollum soon gave it. Then he thought the time had come to ask something hard and horrible. This is what he said. This thing all things devours. Birds, beasts, trees, flowers. Gnaws iron, bites steel, grinds hard stones to meal. Slays king, ruins town, and beats high mountain down. Poor Bilbo. He sat in the dark thinking of all the horrible names of all the giants and ogres he had ever heard told loving tales, but not one of them had done all these things. He had a feeling that the answer was quite different and that he ought to know it, but he could not think of it. He began to get frightened, and that's bad for thinking. Colin began to get out of his boat. He flapped into the water and paddled to the bank. Bilbo could see his eyes coming towards him. His tongue seemed to stick in his mouth. He wanted to shout out, Give me more time. Give me time. But all that came out with a sudden squeal was, Time! Time! Bilbo was saved by pure luck. That, of course, was the answer. Gollum was disappointed once more. And now he was getting angry and also tired of the game. It had made him very hungry indeed. This time he did not go back to the boat. He sat down in the dark by Bilbo. That made the hobbit most dreadfully uncomfortable and scattered his wits. It's got to ask us a question, my precious. Yes, yes, yes. Just one more question to guess. Yes, yes, said Gollum. But Bilbo simply could not think of any question with that nasty, wet, cold thing sitting next to him and pawing him and poking him. He scratched himself. He pinched himself. Still, he could not think of anything. Ask us, ask us, said Gollum. Bilbo pinched himself and slapped himself. He gripped on his little sword. He even felt in his pocket with his other hand. There he found a ring he had picked up in the passage and forgotten about. What have I got in my pocket, he said aloud. He was talking to himself. But Gollum thought it was a riddle and he was frightfully upset. Not fair, not fair, is. It isn't fair, my precious. Is it? Not fair, is it? To ask us what he's got in his nasty little pockets is? Bilbo, seeing what had happened and having nothing better to ask, stuck to his question. What have I got in my pocket, he said louder. <laughs> his father. He must give us three guesses, is my precious? Three guesses? Very well, guess away, said Bilbo. And said Gollum. Wrong, said Bilbo. But luckily just taken his hand out again. Guess again. <laughs> said Gollum, more upset than ever. Thought of all the things he kept in his own pockets fishbones, goblin's teeth, wet shells, a bit of bat wing, sharp stone to sharpen his fangs on, and other nasty things. He tried to think what other people kept in their pockets. Knife, he said at last. Wrong, said Bilbo, who had lost his some time ago. Last guess. Now Gollum was in a much worse state than when Bilbo had asked him the egg question. 
He hissed and spluttered and rocked himself backwards and forward and slapped his feet on the floor and wriggled and squirmed, but still he did not dare to waste his last guess. Come on, said Bill, I'm waiting. He tried to sound bold and cheerful, but he did not feel at all sure how the game was going to end, whether Gollum guessed right or not. Time's up, he said. String or nothing, shrieked Gollum, which was not quite fair, working in two guesses at once. Both wrong, cried Bilbo, very much relieved. He jumped at once to his feet, put his back to the nearest wall, and held out his little sword. He knew, of course, that the riddle game was sacred and of immense antiquity, and even wicked creatures were afraid to cheat when they played at it. But he felt he could not trust this slimy thing to keep any promise at a pinch. Any excuse would do for him to slide out of it. And after all, that last question had not been a genuine riddle according to the ancient laws. But at any rate, Gollum did not at once attack him. He could see the sword in Bilbo's hand. He sat still, shivering and whispering. At last, Bilbo could wait no longer. Well, he said, what about your promise? I want to go. You must show me the way. Did we say so, precious? Show them nasty little baggins the way out? Yes, yes. But what has it got in its pockets, eh? Not string, precious, but not nothing. Oh, no. Oh. Never you mind, said Bilbo. A promise is a promise. Cross it is. Impatient, precious, his Gollum. But he must wait. Yes, it must. We can't go up the tunnel so hasty. We must go and get some things first, yes. Things to help us. Well, hurry up, said Bilbo. Relieved to think of Gollum going away. He thought he was just making an excuse and did not mean to come back. What was Gollum talking about? What useful thing could he keep out on the dark lake? But Bilbo was wrong. Gollum did mean to come back. He was angry now and hungry. And he was a miserable, wicked creature. And already he had a plan. Not far away was his island, of which Bilbo knew nothing. And there, in his hiding place, he kept a few wretched oddments and one very beautiful thing. Very beautiful. Very wonderful. He had a ring. A golden ring. A precious ring. My birthday present, he whispered to himself, as he had often done in the endless dark days. That's what we want now, yes, we want it. He wanted it because it was a ring of power. And if you slipped that ring on your finger, you were invisible. Only in the full sunlight could you be seen, and then only by your shadow, and that would be shaky and faint. My birthday present. It came to me on my birthday, my precious. So he had always said to himself, but who knows how Gollum came by that present ages ago in the old days when such rings were still at large in the world. Perhaps even the master who ruled them could not have said. Gollum used to wear it at first till it tired him, and then he kept it in the pouch next his skin till it galled him. And now usually he hid it in a hole in the rock on his island and was always going back to look at it. And still sometimes he put it on when he could not bear to be parted from it any longer, or when he was very, very hungry and tired of fish. Then he would creep along dark passages looking for stray goblins. He might even venture into places where the torches were lit and made his eyes blink and smart, for he would be safe. Oh yes, quite safe. No one would see him, no one would notice him, till he had his fingers on their throat. Only a few hours ago he had worn it, and caught a small goblin imp. How it squeaked. He 
He still had a bone or two left to gnaw, but he wanted something softer. Quite safe, yes, he whispered to himself. It won't see us, will it, my precious? No, it won't see us, and its nasty little sword will be useless, yes, quite. That is what was in his wicked little mind as he slipped suddenly from Bilbo's side and flapped back to his boat and went off into the dark. Bilbo thought he'd heard the last of him. Still, he waited a while, for he had no idea how to find his way out alone. Suddenly he heard a screech. It sent a shiver down his back. Gollum was cussing and wailing away in the gloom, not very far off to the sound of it. He was on his island, scrabbling here and there, searching and seeking in vain. Where is it? Where is it? Bilbo heard him crying. Lost it is, my precious. Lost! Lost! Curses and crashes, my precious, is lost! What's the matter, Bilbo called? What have you lost? In Madagascar, sweet God. Not his business. No, Gollum. Gollum is lost. Gollum, Well, so am I, cried Bilbo, and I want to get unlost. And I won the game, and you promised. So come along. Come and let me out, and then go on with your looking. Utterly miserable as Gollum sounded, Bilbo could not find much pity in his heart, and he had a feeling that anything Gollum wanted so much could hardly be something good. Come along, he shouted. No, not yet, precious, Gollum answered. We must search for it. It's lost, Gollum. But you never guessed my last question, and you promised, said Bilbo. Never guessed, said Gollum. Then suddenly, out of the gloom came a shout. What has it got in its pocket, Fizz? Tell us that. It must tell fast. As far as Bilbo knew, there's no particular reason why he should not tell. Gollum's mind had jumped to a guess quicker than his. Naturally. For Gollum had brooded for ages on this one thing. He was always afraid of its being stolen. But Bilbo was annoyed at the delay. After all, he'd won the game pretty fairly at a horrible risk. Answers were to be guessed, not given, he said. But it wasn't a fair question, said Gollum. Not a riddle, precious, no. Oh, well, if it's a matter of ordinary questions, Bilbo said, then I asked one first. What have you lost? Tell me that. What is it got in its pockets, is? The sound came hissing louder and sharper, and as he looked towards it, to his alarm, Bilbo now saw two small points of light peering at him. As suspicion grew in Gollum's mind, the light of his eyes burned like a pale flame. What have you lost, Bilbo persisted. But now the light in Gollum's eyes had become a green fire and was coming swiftly nearer. Gollum was in his boat again, paddling wildly back to the dark shore. And such a rage of loss and suspicion was in his heart that no sword had any more terror for him. Bilbo could not guess what had maddened the wretched creature, but he saw that all was up, and the Gollum meant to murder him at any rate. Just in time, he turned and ran blindly back up the passage down which he had come, keeping close to the wall and feeling it with his left hand. What has it got in its pocket, sis? He heard the hiss loud behind him, and a splash as Gollum leapt from his boat. What have I, I wonder, he said to himself, as he panted and stumbled along. He put his left hand in his pocket. The ring felt very cold as it quietly slipped onto his groping forefinger. The hiss was close behind him. 
He turned now and saw Gollum's eyes like small green lamps coming up the slope. Terrified, he tried to run faster. But suddenly he struck his toes on a snag in the floor and fell flat with his little sword under him. In a moment, Gollum was on him. Before Bilbo could do anything, recover his breath, pick himself up or wave his sword, Gollum passed by, taking no notice of him, cursing and whispering as he ran. What could it mean? Gollum could see in the dark. Bilbo could see the light of his pale eyes, shining even from behind. Painfully he got up and sheathed his sword, which was now glowing faintly again. Then very cautiously he followed. And that was the professor reading from The Hobbit, Riddles in the Dark. And in case you're interested and you want to find out what happened to this little hobbit, you will have to pick up The Hobbit yourself. The Hobbit or there and back again, J.R.R. Tolkien. And uh, Milo, we are excited because we know... Uh, something that's not a secret anymore, that The Hobbit will be a movie in just a couple of years. Guillermo del Toro, one of the great contemporary masters of cinema, will be directing not one movie, but two movies. And Peter Jackson, the original auteur of the trilogy, will be producing as uh, Peter Jackson takes on more producing duties in the world of cinema in addition to directing things like The Lovely Bones coming out this Christmas. Mm. Uh, we have uh, The Hobbit coming out, if everything goes well, 2011. They will start shooting uh, either at the very end of this year, more likely the beginning of next year, and uh, we'll be shooting both movies together again in a Herculean effort of filmmaking, yes. uh, like the original trilogy. And, uh, and, of course, to me, one of the greatest pieces of news is that Sir Ian McKellen will be reprising his role as Gandalf, yes. of which there is no other actor on earth, I believe, that could do as good a job as Sir Ian did. Absolutely. Um, that's um, what many of us were very excited to find out. Of, of all the characters, I trust Peter Jackson, um, and but just knowing that Ian McKellen is going to be is going to be Gandalf, and um, I don't know if they have confirmed. I had heard that there was certainly the possibility that Andy Circus would be reprising Gollum. There's certainly that possibility. There's still a lot of things up in the air. Um, the other thing I'm looking forward to, as far as visualizations, not only again the brilliant realization there of Gollum but also the realization of Smaug, the horrible dragon. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. That will be incredible. Yes. And I can't wait to see who will be. I don't know. It would be wonderful if uh, um, we saw the same Elrond, uh, um, one of my favorite, favorite characters. I can't believe right now his name just completely slipped slipped to my tongue, um, who played Elrond. Um, he was also in The mm. Matrix. And and brilliant as the bad guy in The Matrix. Absolutely. But, but brilliant as the severe, lordly, and yet kindly Elrond. Yes. Um, uh, wonderful. And, of course, the big casting question. Yes. It's still a big question that no one knows the answer to is, who Ooh, will Bilbo. play the young Bilbo? Yes. Right? The older Bilbo was played brilliantly by Ian Holm. Yes. But... Who will play the young Bilbo in The Hobbit? That right. will be uh, another casting decision. It's all so exciting to see who, how it will all come together. And it will all be glorious, and we'll get to 
just talk about it and speculate, and you know, it's always wonderful fun. Yes, over the next year or so, yes. we will be doing lots of discussions about The Hobbit. We will be playing excerpts from the Nicole Williamson recording of The Hobbit, mm-hmm. which I have on vinyl here in front of me, yes. with the beautiful artwork cover of this 12-inch square four-record album on Argo with cover art by uh, J.R.R. Tolkien himself. Beautiful, beautiful cover art with the hobbits writing the uh, barrels uh, in that wonderful scene from The Hobbit. So we have lots and lots of things to do as uh, we, we, we get ready for the excitement of both Hobbit movies. Probably, my guess would be, released at Christmas 2011 and Christmas 2012. Which would be wonderful because that would be 10-year anniversary of the release of The Lord of the Rings. That's right. 2011 would be the 10th anniversary Mm -hmm. of the the release of Fellowship of the Ring. And, oh, my gosh, what a wonderful time. Yes. And I heard a little rumor that that someone mentioned that to Peter Jackson, and he thought, ah, what a perfect idea. So we'll see. You never know sometimes how these things actually play out. But that would be that would be a wonderful thing for the holidays of 2011. Well, that wraps up our time, Milo. It's been wonderful, Tani, again. How I look forward to our next meeting. Oh, me too. And a very special thank you to all of our friends who are listening. I want to say a do I do want to say a special shout out this morning. A happy birthday to Master Aaron Hugh, the warrior bard of Belfalas. One of my friends on Tolkien Online just had his birthday yesterday and uh happy birthday yes a wonderful man who introduced many of us to role play writing and revived our love of poetry we have a bard's guild on tolkien online where we all come and hang out and share our poetry it's a wonderful wonderful thing so with that we have just a few minutes left and i believe that rose will be along in just a little bit with uh, love and Romance show. I believe it's this week. Next week, I believe is Career Quest. I could have them. Uh, I could have them switched, but uh, we will be back in two weeks, and uh, I'll be here next week with Phenomenal Woman, and my guest will be Dr. Stephanie Bueller, who is a sex therapist. So that should be interesting to hear from that phenomenal woman and what she's doing uh, here on the planet. <clears throat> so until then. Uh, my Govanin. Oh, no, I guess that's hello. I guess that we'll be, we'll have to say Namaria. Until next week, Alin Salalumin Amentielvo, a star shines on the hour of our meeting, Milo, and for all of our friends. So we're going to end with a uh, little more music. I think we'll revisit hearing uh, Gandalf singing The Road Goes Ever On. And wonderful, on. wonderful, wonderful. So until next week, see you. See you. And this is Howard Shore. KCI in Irvine, the best radio station in the history of Middle Earth.